Hey everyone, welcome back to Staying Connected. This is Katie, your host, and today I have Megan with me who's going to share her story with vascular Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, or VEDS, which I also have. So um, thank you, Megan, for coming on and sharing your story. Oh, thanks for having me. So when were you diagnosed with VEDS and how did that happen? So I was um, officially diagnosed with VEDS about a year and a half ago, um, June of 2018, um, but the diagnosis came on um, probably about six months prior in January, about two years ago, um, with the death of my brother. Um, he was 39 years old at the time, and he lived in Australia. He had just moved over there um, about six months prior. And so I had gotten a call in January from my dad um, letting me know the news that my brother had passed away suddenly. Um, and so it was quite a shock to everybody because, like I said, he was perfectly healthy. He was only 39. Mm -hmm. um, and not knowing at that time how he had passed away, all we had known was that it was completely sudden in his apartment. And, you know, he didn't even have time to get to the phone, you know. So whatever it was happened very quickly, which... You know, it's comforting to know, but at the same time, at that point, it was still a mystery. Mm -hmm. um, so when the autopsy came back in, it was determined that he had had an aortic dissection right near the heart, which is why it was so quick and sudden for him. Mm -hmm. um, so at that time, I really didn't think much about it. You know, we kind of thought it must have been just a freak thing that kind of happened. And um, it wasn't until the... Um, coroner over in Australia made the comment to us that, you know, it's really rare for someone so young to have had this done that she usually sees this happen in people that are much older in their 70s and 80s. And, you know, she brought up the suggestion that it's possible there might have been a genetic link um, that is the reason that this happened. And so she just kind of suggested that it wouldn't be a bad idea for family members to kind of follow up and just see if there was anything. So, you know, we kind of took that, and I didn't really think too much about it. I didn't think the possibility at that point was too great that it was anything. Um, however, my dad kind of played the guilt trip on me at that point and said, you know, you need to go to the doctor, and you need to at least examine what it could be. You know, you're my last my last living family member at this point, and, you know, I want to keep you around for a while. And mm -hmm. so, of course, that tugged at my heartstrings, and so I told him okay and made some appointments with my doctor and um, they referred me to a cardiologist at our hospital and we went there um, mostly because of the way my brother died and where the dissection was they figured well maybe it had something to do with the heart and so we went in and um, the doctors at that point didn't really think anything of it they were kind of you know listening to my story but not really taking me too seriously at first and um, I'm the kind of person where I always go into appointments and I have like my list of things that I want to say and the things I want to talk about. But yet when I get into the appointments, a lot of times I kind of freeze up and I forget what I want <laughs> to say, um, which always frustrates me. And I end the appointments and I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't say what I wanted to. But, um, you know, so that was kind of happening. But luckily, um, my husband was able to join me for the appointment. And so we're sitting there and um, he totally stepped in and kind of advocated for me at that point. And he's like, listen, this is what's happened. We're not leaving here until we at least get some tests on the books. So they scheduled me for an echo 
Um, and so I went in to do that, and they did the appointment and checked out my heart, and everything looked great. Uh, there was nothing to be concerned about, and they said the flow was good, and there were no dissections or anything. So I felt really good leaving that appointment. And um, they had scheduled a CT of my abdomen um, to kind of do like basically from my neck all the way down to my legs area. And that was scheduled for a couple months later. So life kind of went on for a little bit. Um, and I kind of honestly put the appointment to the back of my mind because um, I, I was worried about the echo. And so since that came back good, I wasn't really too concerned about anything else. But I figured, you know, I'd keep the appointment and go anyway and have it done. And so um, a few months later, I went for the CT scan. And um, at that time, my husband was out of town. Uh, he's military. And so he often leaves um, for chunks of time. And so this happened to be a time when he was out of town. Um, and my kids um, were at the house by themselves because I the appointment was only supposed to be about an hour, so I kind of just left them left them home alone to go to it and um, went in and had it done and did the appointment and the tech at the time said you know okay we've got everything um, just wait out in the waiting room for a few minutes we just want to make sure all the images are clear enough and we'll let you know you know when you can head on home mm -hmm. and so I went and sat out in the waiting room and probably within. Uh, three or four minutes, two doctors came out together and, you know, they had that like walking with a purpose kind of walk and one, they flanked me on both sides. There was one sat on one side and one the other on the other side. And um, so, you know, that kind of alarmed me and they said, you know, we just reviewed your images and we see that you also have an aortic dissection just like your brother did as well as um, iliac uh, dissections. And uh, we need to admit you to the hospital right now. And so, of course, that set me kind of into a panic mode, obviously, yeah. because I just heard, all I really heard at that point was, like, dissections and same as your brother and, you know, get you in right now. So right. I'm, I'm thinking a million things at this point. And the main thing I kind of thought of, honestly, was because at the hospital that we were at, cell phone reception is horrible. Like, my phone does not work in there whatsoever. And so I, I told them, I'm like, well, before I go anywhere, I need to, you know, figure out like the mom and me came out and I'm like, I need to get a hold of my kids and figure out if I'm going to be here for a while. I need to figure out them. You know, my husband's out of town and like all these like <laughs> plant mom planning part modes came in, you know? Yeah. So, um, that was kind of my first thing. And they were so worried that they were like, okay, well you can walk right outside the hospital and make the calls, but we're going to have the doctor come with you. So that even, you know, sent me into panic mode more because I'm like, oh my gosh, what is going on? <laughs> you know, this doctor is like escorting me everywhere. And, you know, once I finally made the calls and I, I called my husband and of course, you know, Murphy's Law, things always happen when he's away. And so he starts worrying and I'm trying to calm him down and just saying, you know, let's just wait until we know for sure. You know, he, at that point, he's like, I'm packing my bags. I'm coming home. And I'm like, hold <laughs> on, let's, let's, let's um, get some answers first. And um, so I got checked in and they had a team down around me doing all these tests. And, you know, I had all the emotions going through like, Oh my God, am I going to die right now? Is this what it's like? And what, what's going on? And, um, you know, this, this big hullabaloo of everything going on. And they did decide that it wasn't anything life-threatening at that moment. My dissections, luckily, are low enough where they kind of bypass all my 
organs. Um, mm-hmm. So they, they determined that I didn't need anything done that night. And um, it was probably about a five or six hours that I was in the ER. You know, I went in for like an hour appointment and ended up being in there, you know, five or six hours. And, yeah. Um, so I got home that night and um, we went ahead and made an appointment with the geneticist there. And so that happened a couple weeks later. I went in and he was great. He was amazing. And um, kind of talked me through the process and he did a physical test on me and checked for hypermobility and um, I'd always kind of noticed that I was a little bit more flexible in my hands and in my elbows especially I always kind of like would that would, I would always say that's my party trick you know oh you guys want to see something weird look like you know <laughs> my elbows look what they can do kind of thing you know never thinking anything other than that's kind of weird yeah um, you know, and so he did the Brighton, that Brighton scale test on me, and he told me, he's like, well, you checked about five out of the nine boxes, so that's, you know, that's a sign right there, and he's like, I would like to do a genetic test and test for something called um, vascular Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, and so that was the first time I had ever heard of that right. term, that word. I had never, never heard of it before, um, so I agreed, and we did the blood test, and he told me it would take about a month to get the results. Um, so in the meantime, of course, I do what I always do when I don't know something and I research the heck out of it. You know, I went home and I just like started Googling everything I could on it and finding as much information on it, which is not a whole lot out there. You know, there's not a whole lot out there at that point, but, um, I got all the information I could and what was really interesting is like, as I'm finding these things and as I'm reading and like hearing people's stories, like, I can't tell you how many times I was like, that sounds like me. Like, that sounds exactly like something that I've, I've been through or I experienced or, you know, the the easy bruising, you know, that a lot of people get and the flexibility and the silly thing like sleeping with your eyelids half open. You know, that was something that I always got made fun of, you know, growing up. <laughs> They're like, oh, that's so weird. Why do you do that? And I just always kind of thought it was a family thing because I did it and my brother did it and my mom, you know, we all kind of did it and we all had all these same physical features. We all bruised super easily. We all were flexible, you know, like all these things. And I just chalked it up to like our family genes. I didn't think anything other than that about it. But yeah, as I was reading all this stuff, it just was like, Oh my gosh, that makes sense. You know, I, I get that. And, um, so about a month later, um, we were just ending uh, our family vacation that we take every year to um, our favorite place on this lake, and um, it was a it was a special trip too because um, we went and we um, scattered my brother's ashes in the lake, just mm-hmm. like we had with my mom's a few years earlier. And so, you know, the place has special meaning. And so, we had had a really good um, vacation, but an emotional one. You know, we were kind of saying goodbye to my brother and everything like that. And so the day we left to come home, we were driving home and um, I got the phone call from the doctor and he said that the test results were in. And, um, you know, that's when I, I got the actual confirmation that I did have um, vascular Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Um, and while it was devastating news to hear, I honestly didn't cry at that time. Um, I almost felt kind of validated. Mm-hmm. Like at that moment, it was like, everything that I had gone through over the years kind of made sense and all the other ailments that I had had over the years kind of made sense and the times that I had gone into other doctors and told them like these issues that I was having 
and getting told that there was no reason why I was having this. Like everything kind of got validated for me at that moment, if that makes sense, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, What kind so, of things had you been through? Um, quite a few, like over the years, um, and kind of all different random things where, you know, you wouldn't have pieced them together, honestly, and, and I do get that, but one of my main things um, that I've dealt with since high school really is migraines. Um, I have migraines quite often, and I'm on a pretty good um, plan now to where they're so much better than what they used to be. But um, at the height of it, I would be getting migraines three to four times a week. Oof. You know, it was debilitating. It was horrible. And, you know, I didn't want to be on a bunch of medications and a bunch of different things. And, you know, I tried everything holistically first. You know, I tried chiropractic. I tried acupuncture. I tried, you know, massage. And, and while they all helped, nothing ever helped well enough to, like, reduce the amount that I had, you know, and yeah. I had, um, I've had two, um, radioablation procedures done, which are like nerve block procedures to where they will basically go into the base of your skull and your neck and, um, cauterize the nerve endings, um, to basically like deaden the sensation. So the pain isn't there. And, um, and that it's helps not with a, migraines or is that also for like muscle tension or um, it helps. It helps with migraines, and it also helps with the way that migraines. Will, my my migraines work is that um, they typically start at like the base of my neck. Mm -hmm. um, I I have a lot of neck issues that kind of go along with the migraines, so um, for me it it's been a big help. Um, they'll just go in and they kind of deaden it, and it just kind of basically stops the nerve pain from reaching up through and and making a full migraine sometimes. Okay. Um, so, I mean, it's not a fun procedure. It's, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, um, it, it has helped, which is great. Um, but on top of that, I've also been doing, uh, Botox for a couple of years, which for me personally has been the biggest, um, relief for migraines. Um, I was very skeptical about it at first, but I was at the point in my life where I was like, I will try anything. Um, and I tried it, and for, for me personally, that has been the biggest help in my migraines. Um, but, I mean, that's been, uh, you know, since high school, so over 20 years that I've been dealing with this constant pain, and now I'm down to about three to four migraines a month, which is still not fun, but compared to weekly and monthly, I mean, that's a huge improvement. Yeah. Um, you know, but it's a, it's a pain management regimen that I'm going to have to keep up on for, for life. And um, at the time, you know, it was completely separate and no doctors really kind of correlated anything with why, you know, why might I be getting these migraines? What's, what's the reason I'm getting these? And while nothing's ever been confirmed, many doctors that I've talked to since then feel that, you know, my migraines could be amplified due to my VEDs. Um, yeah. So, you know, that right there is kind of validating um, to just kind of know that, I'm not exaggerating, you know, like I felt a lot of times going in and they would just be like, oh, you know, it's, you can live with it or, you know, it is what it is kind of thing. And along with the migraines, I have like some joint pain mm -hmm. to, to where, you know, I have to do certain things in the morning sometimes just to kind of like get my body going. You know, um, I have a traction machine that I use on my neck, um, 
that helps with the neck pain. So I'll get up and I'll kind of do that. And I do yoga, which is great. Um, mm -hmm. And that usually gets me going. Um, so that's kind of one thing. And then um, the dissections that I do have, when they did find my dissections, that was actually really interesting because they made the comment that I had probably had the dissections for a while. And when I asked them how they were able to determine that, they said that um, with the dissection, you know, it's kind of like a cut, like if you get a cut, a paper cut to where, you know, you kind of have that little flap of skin. Um, and that little flap of skin on the artery um, had healed enough to where it was a little bit thicker. And so kind of kind of like um, counting rings on a tree, you know, the thicker <laughs> it is, you know, you can kind of tell how old it is. And um, he said it's kind of like that. And since the flap of the tear on my dis dissections was a little bit thicker than the rest of it, um, they are assuming that I've had those dissections for probably a very long time. Wow. Um, yeah, probably um, probably from my pregnancy. Not They don't know for certain, but, you know, I was pregnant 13-plus years ago. So, um, you know, I've had these dissections just in me for that long, no symptoms whatsoever. Um, and that was kind of the interesting part that a lot of doctors said was that these dissections were diagnosed asymptomatic, meaning I didn't go in with any issues. I didn't right. have any pain. I didn't have anything. I was seemingly completely healthy. You know, it was kind of a freak chance of this um, imaging done that that led it to it. Because if I hadn't had it done, I still might not know that I had this going on. Yeah. Um, so, so are they just that, watching watching those now? They're watching it for now. I go in every six months and get scans done up at um, the University of Washington. Um, and the good news is that they're not expanding at all. Um, so what their plan of action right now is just to watch it. And as long as it stays that way, um, I'm fortunate enough that the dissections are allowing the blood to flow fairly naturally. So it's not causing an aneurysm or any kind of blockage. So, um, oh, good. Yeah. So that's, I mean, the best case scenario of what it could be. So yeah. they're just going to watch it at this point and continue imaging and scanning to stay on top of it. So you said you had a 13-year-old. Yes, I have twins, actually. Twins. 13-year-old twins. Mm -hmm. And were they tested after you tested positive for vets? They were. They were. So um, once I got my diagnosis, of course, the geneticist informed me that, you know, kids have a 50-50 chance of inheriting it. So... We took them both in, um, and um, they also did a echo on both of the kids as well while we were in there. And so mm -hmm. they did my daughter first, and her echo came back fine. And they did my son right after that, and they noticed that in his echo he had what's called a bicuspid valve, which is basically um, you have three valves in your heart to help pump, and two of his were kind of fused together. Mm -hmm. So... Um, while that in itself is not a huge issue, in fact, it um, kind of runs on my husband's side of the family, so it wasn't shocking news to hear that. Yeah. Um, and typically, nothing really ever needs to be done with it. Because of the chance of having VEDS, it just brought up a little bit more concern because, again, it's putting more strain on the arteries and the valves. 
So that was, you know, that was a little concerning when we got that. And then they had their blood test. And um, because the doctors knew exactly what to look for, those results came back a lot quicker. It only took about a week or two to get the results. Mm -hmm. So um, we got the call and the doctor told us that our daughter testing negative, that she did not have it. However, my son's results came back and he also tested positive for vascular Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. So they're um, fraternal twins? They are fraternal, yep. Mm-hmm. And how did that feel? I know you said you felt kind of validated when you got your results. How did it feel when you got your son's? It was completely devastating to me. Um, I tell people all the time that I didn't cry when I got the results for myself, but I cried harder than I ever did when my son's results came back in. Um, it just, just absolutely devastated me. And I felt so guilty because I felt like, you know, even though logically I know I, it was nothing I could have done. You know, I felt guilty that I gave this to him, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, um, yeah, it was, it's still, when I think about it and when I think about the emotional aspect of it, I get way more emotional when I talk about him and his journey than I do about my own. Has he had any complications yet? He is very fortunate. He hasn't had any complications. Um, we, we live close enough to Seattle, which is amazing. So we get excellent care and we're able to go up to the University of Washington and Seattle Children's quite regularly for mm-hmm. all his appointments. So we were just up there a few weeks ago for his six-month checkup and um, he's doing well. He's got a little bit of enlargement in the aorta, but nothing to where they're concerned about. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're just going to do the same and kind of keep an eye on him. I think the hardest part for him is kind of the change in lifestyle that he's had to adjust to mm-hmm. a little bit because, you know, he went through the first, you know, 11 years of his life with no restrictions whatsoever because we didn't know anything. And so he was able to do the sports that he wanted, like football and wrestling and the the high contact sports that he enjoyed doing. And, um, you know, we kind of had to talk to him a little bit about this and be like, those, those aren't the best choice for you right now. And, um, that's, that's been hard. I mean, there's nothing harder than sitting in a, in a doctor's appointment and having your, your son, get so emotional about the fact that he can't play a sport that he loves anymore. You know, it just, it breaks your heart as a mother to see. And, um, but at the same time, you know, as a, as a parent, we have a job to, to keep them safe. Um, and you know, we're struggling with that. We're trying to find a good balance of how do we keep him safe, but not put him in a bubble. Mm-hmm. You know, how do we still let him be a kid, um, and not be fearful, but still be, proactive in his choices, you know, Um, and he, he's done really good. You know, he wears a medical ID bracelet now and um, he lets his school know. And one of the great things was just last week we were at a wrestling event for my daughter who is in the sport right now. And that was a sport he did last year, but he's not doing it anymore. And he's been great. He'll still go and sit and cheer her on. And we were at a match last week. And one of the other wrestlers on his team came up and sat by him and asked him, he's like, hey, why aren't you wrestling anymore? And, um, you know, I was kind of sitting next, but a little bit away. And so I was listening, but trying not to show I was listening because I wanted to see, like, how he was going to handle it. <laughs> and I was, I was eavesdropping as a mom. <laughs> <laughs> and um, 
he did so well. He he told this kid, and he said, well, you know, I can't play anymore because I have a, a medical condition. And um, he kind of left it at that at first, and then the kid, being a kid, was like, well, what do you got? What is it? <laughs> and, um, and he did such a great job explaining. He's like, well, what's this thing called vascular Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome? And, of course, the kid was like, what's that? I've never heard of that. And um, he said, well, it's it's this condition that I have. And and the way he explained it was kind of like how we originally explained it to him. And he said, well, you know, we all have genes in our body, and there's a gene that kind of keeps – it's like the glue in our body. And while most people have the super glue glue, he goes, mine's a little different, and it's more like Elmer's glue. <laughs> and, <laughs> And I was like, that's such a great way to describe it. I love it. And um, he was like, so I have to be careful because things inside of me and my organs and my arteries can can um, get damaged a lot easier than other people. Aww. And it was heartbreaking to hear, but I was so proud of him too because mm-hmm. I was like, oh, he gets it. You know, like he might not always like it, you know, and he might get upset and he might get mad, but he gets it, you know. Yeah. That's so sweet. Mm-hmm. And sorry, Elmer's glue. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, it was a little, uh, he actually upgraded it because I think when I told him the scenario, I think he said, we're like the dollar store glue. <laughs> <laughs> and he decided that that was the He's equivalent like, no, of Elmer's. That's, yes, that's, yeah, we're going to be Elmer's glue. <laughs> that is so funny. <laughs> so um, are you the first in your family or, I mean, with the, with your brother being affected and you being affected, I'd imagine that you guys had a parent that was Yeah, affected. so, I mean, I'm the first confirmed diagnosis of it. Um, uh, you know, my brother is, they weren't able to test him, but the doctors are like, yeah, that's obviously what he had. Um, my mom passed away in 2014 very suddenly as well. She was healthy as well. Um, you know, but it didn't raise as much concern because she was older. She was 61 at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but she, um, had a, woke up with some chest pains and took, they took her in and she had a heart attack and it wasn't a severe one, but there was enough to where they felt they wanted to put a stint in. So they went in and did that and everything went smoothly. However, once they were done, she stopped breathing during the operation and they weren't able to, um, intubate her fast enough and so she she died from respiratory distress um so that was devastating in itself because that was really the first close loss at that point that I had had um so she was never genetically confirmed however talking with the doctors that I've talked to and giving them her medical history and the physical features that she had and like I said the the easy bruising as well and the the thin kind of translucent skin and, and all those things, it's pretty evident that she was the one that had it. My father mm-hmm. got di- or got tested um, after I was diagnosed, and he um, was negative for it. So the, the chances that both my brother and I had freak mutations is pretty rare, so we're, we're pretty confident that it came from my mom. And how has your dad handled this? Um, you know, he's, he's handling it really good. Um, I think he's kind of like me in that he likes to know facts and he likes to, to go off of facts and everything like that. So I'm really open with him and I'll tell him, you know, the, the appointments that I've had and, um, things that are going on. And, um, you know, I can tell that it's really hard for him. He likes to 
read up as much as possible on things and he'll talk to me about it. So I think emotionally, I think that's kind of how he's dealing with it is just getting as much information as he can. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, I, I can't even put myself in his shoes. I mean, he's lost his, his wife and his son and then now his daughter and grandson also have this. So, I mean, I can't imagine emotionally he's dealing with all that. Yeah. Is he pretty supportive? He's very supportive. Very supportive. Yeah. That's good. Was there anything else that you wanted to share with the listeners that you didn't touch on? I know we talked about some things that you've experienced and that probably are amplified by VEDS and talking mm -hmm. about your dissections and everything like that. Is there yeah. anything else that you wanted to share or any advice um, for somebody who's just going through this? It was pretty recent oh that you were diagnosed. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say advice is hard. I'm still trying to I'm still taking all the advice I can get, it seems like, and I think it probably <laughs> probably will for a very long time. Um, you know, honestly, like as, as cheesy as it sounds, I just honestly take every day as it comes because there are days where having this feels like a ticking time bomb inside, you know, and I have to choose every day if I'm going to let that fear and anxiety run my day or if I'm going to run my day. And... Um, a lot of the times, you know, I'm, I'm choosing to run my day and it, it feels good. And I guess my advice, if I could give anybody would be like, you know, you're no different today than you were yesterday. I, I have to remind myself that I'm no different before this diagnosis than mm -hmm. I was after it. I'm still the same person. I'm still, you know, living my life and my, my life is already planned out for me like it's, it's going to be what it's going to be and I can choose to either embrace it and run with it or be in fear of it and you know I, I do choose to embrace it and on the days that the fear is stronger I've just got to rely on the fact that you know it's it is what it is and you know I, I want to live this life to the fullest and I want to especially show my kids that you know this isn't the end of the world for me and that I'm going to make the most of it. And, um, so yeah, I guess that would be if any advice would be just to, you know, take everything day by day and it's going to be okay. But. Yeah. It's a scary thing to have too. And to have to work through that is so, can be so difficult. Yeah, it is. And, you yeah. know, and it does, it does, um, make you think differently, you know, and, and things that come up in the future, you know, I, I, do have to think differently, like any procedures that I might have done, any surgeries or anything that I might have done in the future, it does make me have to think a little bit more because there are added risks um, with patients with beds, you know, with surgeries and anesthesia and everything like that. And so you do have to be more cautious about it, but at the same time, you don't need to let it hold you back and help hold you back from having a good life. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story with everybody and with me. Oh, I well, thank you. really appreciate it. Thank you so much. You know, at the beginning of um, my search when I was looking, um, these podcasts were one thing that um, just made me feel really good. <laughs> they, <laughs> they really made me feel like there were other people out there that can relate to how I'm feeling, and it validated a lot of how I felt, and, you know, I, I just hope that my story can do the same someday for, for others that are listening that might be going through the same thing. That's so sweet. I was, when I started doing these, I really like, that was my, that was my thought, you know, like that's what I wanted to do is 
when I was diagnosed, I felt really, really alone. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really Absolutely. want anybody else to feel that. So I'm so glad that you were able to yeah. find these. Absolutely. It, it, absolutely. That's exactly. I mean, I just felt like I wasn't alone when I, when I heard those and I heard everybody else's stories and it was such a comfort to me. So thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I, I should thank everybody else that has shared their story. Yeah, you know, absolutely. absolutely. It's just been wonderful to, to do this and hear everybody's stories and, and have them share it is, is so special to me. So I'm really grateful that you are doing the same. And I'm sure that there's somebody else out there that can totally relate to what you're experiencing. So thank you. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. And uh, thank you everybody for listening. This was Staying Connected. And this was Megan sharing her story with vascular Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. This is a monthly podcast that comes out on the last Sunday of the month. So go ahead and subscribe to this if you want to hear more. And we'll see you soon.